Hi, I'm Linus, and welcome back to the Interintellect Hostcast. Interintellect is reinventing the art of the French salon for the 21st century. We host conversations on a wide range of topics, from technology to philosophy to art and more, in both online settings and in cities all over the world. Check out all of Interintellect's events at interintellect.com. In this episode, I talk with Etienne Fortier-Dubois about art and aesthetics. We talk about whether or not art is subjective or objective, how AI art might change how we perceive artistic intent, how aesthetics contribute to politics and social movements, and more. And now, my conversation with Etienne. Hey, Etienne, great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Yeah, so today we're diving into the topic of aesthetics and, and beauty and brain and AI. I, I think a, a great way to just start is to talk about what beauty really means in the context of objective versus subjective beauty. There's a lot of debate within philosophy of art, whether or not there is such thing as objective beauty. So I think that's a great way to you know, just jump in in terms of getting your thoughts on that question. Yeah, this is a this is a really fun topic to think about. And obviously philosophers have thought about this for a long time. Like the philosophy of aesthetics is uh, nothing new. And so I'm not reinventing anything, but the the angle I like to take on questions like this is evolutionary since I've studied evolutionary biology before. And uh, so like if we are able to see beauty, like if beauty is a true phenomenon that we feel and it is, then that means it must come from somewhere. And then from there, you can sort of try to find answers as to whether it's objective or subjective or neither of these things, because maybe the question doesn't make a lot of sense. And yeah, and that's what we can discuss. So like, like to me, basically beauty, I think is some a form of interestingness. It's a sort of mechanism that our brains have found to sort of make us pay attention to things. And so if you think about an ancestral environment where you're uh, an ape in the jungle or I mean, in the forests or whatever, you want like evolution to the extent that evolution wants things, basically things that make you survive and reproduce. You want evolution wants you to pay attention to, for instance, a predator or uh, that might be lurking in the forest and be a risk to your survival or it might be a way to make you pay attention to food uh, which you need so that's why we like to see colorful uh, healthy looking food that feels beautiful to us right so these things are what we need to pay attention for to survive and obviously there's a whole sexual dimension also which we can you know get into Um, and so that means that beauty is like this emotion or like this reaction that we feel um, that tells you, hey, this is something good for you um, or interesting in some way, pay attention to it. So is it objective or subjective? I I mean, it's subjective in the sense that there are things that it always makes sense to pay attention to, but it's also subjective in the sense that what what is interesting to you is also very dependent on your uh, own conditions. Yeah, so we'd love to double click on this idea of it interestingness as a proxy for aesthetic meaningfulness. On on one hand, there's the things that you've talked about in terms of the evolutionary need to find things interesting for one's survival and flourishing. Uh, But there's also the interestingness that you find in, let's say, more modern art. seems to be much more about abstract concepts, about philosophy, about aesthetics for aesthetic's sake. 
So do you think those things are tied together? Like it's just a reappropriation of these basic human capabilities into this kind of to totally non-evolutionarily necessary realm that you know, humans are just capable of and so they use it? Or is there kind of something else uh, going on that kind of could inform like how we define interestingness? Yeah. I mean, interestingness is obviously a very, very, very broad concept. Um, and I want to like point out that uh, beauty is not synonymous with interestingness. There are interesting things that are ugly or just not beautiful. Um, and, and beauty is kind of the positive form of interestingness, uh, but it can manifest in many, 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 many ways. And so when you uh, mention contemporary art, art is basically a way for people to manufacture interestingness in a way. And so, uh, and, and it, it is basically using the same instincts that humans have uh, towards aesthetic beauty in order to elicit a reaction, in order to create something uh, in, the, in the minds of the people who see the piece of art. But it's not, in my mind, it's not fundamentally different. Uh, it's just really sort of using what's already there. Um, but like basically, Basically, beauty or interestingness is such a general thing because you, you can't predict what interestingness, like interestingness, interestingness, sorry, <laughs> this is a mouthful. Interestingness is basically anything that might be useful to you. So like the mechanism for this, for an, an animal, a living thing to be able to pay attention to anything that you can't predict that like evolution that had happened like millions of years ago couldn't predict what's interesting now. Uh, it has to be a really, really broad mechanism, something which, uh, as David Deutsch would put it, I guess, uh, something which reach a, a mechanism that is able to do way more than what it was uh, at first, that what it first evolved to. So, um, and so that's why art can still use the same mechanism because you had this mechanism that allows you to pay attention to, as I said, predators, food, sexual partners, children, um, beautiful landscapes maybe so that you can find the right place to find food um, and, uh, and so on. So, and then that can be extended indefinitely into so many other interesting things that with our creativity, we're able to create now. Yeah, definitely. And so I want to ask a follow-up question you know, related to another concept that you know, we had talked about previously you know, before we started the podcast, which is the idea of taste and how you know, taste can be something as broadly defined as the ability to discern what is interesting or what is beautiful. And again, whether you see that as you know, something that's broadly culturally contextual, that there are you know, people, if they're educated in a certain way or brought up in a certain way, you know, they are able to develop taste or it's, it's something that's learned or something that's at least partially in, inherent or intrinsic to yep. you know, a, a person. So we'd love to kind of Get your thoughts on you know what taste means in this conversation what, what is taste that's a, that's a great question and in all my thinking and writing about beauty i haven't really went into the word taste itself because to me it just doesn't sound that interesting it's just a basically basically a re uh, a repackaging of the same ideas taste is a way to describe that for you some things are particularly beautiful and maybe maybe would add a dimension that it's in agreement with others right if you have good taste it's not something that's meaningful in itself as an individual in the world it's something that's meaningful in the society you have uh, the things that you find beautiful are the same as some other people and that way you can sort of agree on things and say like we have taste 
but but otherwise it's really to me just a way to say uh what is interesting to you uh, is this and this and that so that could be fashion for instance fashion is this really, really fast changing thing that happens in human societies because we have culture. And so for whatever reason, some way of clothing becomes popular because maybe some king or some popular cool person wears this piece of clothing. And then everyone once sort of finds that beautiful because it's associated with a wealthy or cool person. And then from there, everyone wants to copy it, or at least many people want to. And so the people who realize that this is desirable in that society because of its current fashions will be said to have taste. So perhaps it's like the taste is sort of related to the more subjective end of beauty, the one that really sort of depends on whatever is currently happening to you, to your life, to your society. Whereas maybe taste makes less sense to talk about when you going into sort of the more objective that quote-unquote objective side of beauty, which is maybe like mathematical truths, for instance, which are beautiful also, but in a different way. And in a way that you sort of are less likely to disagree about. It's, it's, uh, it's just this sort of underlying structure of the universe, I guess. So like you, you, you won't, it's, it's not, it, it works in a very different way than fashion, but beauty is still that thing that you're able to feel for both because it's such a, a broad mechanism as we discussed. Yeah, but I'm not sure if like there's a formal definition of taste. Maybe that's, yeah, as I said, like I think it's like basically just sort of a, a way to sort of reframe the whole thing by putting it into your like your own control. Like I have taste or not. Taste is a property of people, whereas beauty is not a property of people, but more like of the interaction with things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think what you brought up about fashion, I think that's a really great way of reframing my first question about objective versus subjective beauty, which is that there's you know, one side of nominally objective beauty where it's just everyone can recognize it, it exists in nature. There's some perhaps like spiritual or mathematical physical property about it that's just absolute. Whereas on the subjective side, it's, it's more social, it's more mimetic. And I think that's why fashion is such a great example because you know, people wear certain things, you know, less so because they you know, think that it's like objectively beautiful or, or like objectively reflects some sort of characteristics about themselves, but rather because their friends are wearing a certain thing or the person that they admire on the internet wears a certain thing. Uh, so there's that kind of social mimetic um, aspect of aesthetics in general. And from there, I think it's important to sort of point out that there is interestingness really, really depends on the audience. Um, interestingness to a single person is very different from interestingness to a group of friends or a whole society or a whole civilization or all of humanity or humanity plus any other possible sentient beings, right? All of these things will have a different relationship to, um, to the world. So my, me, just me, for instance, because whatever, maybe I'm really stressed at some particular moment and I will find a really calm painting really particularly beautiful but you maybe you're really calm right now and you really don't care about a calm painting you want you want like an exciting painting or whatever right that painting or story or whatever else so this is a very your local need at this moment and then but then if if you're you, you share a culture with some friends or with some an entire company or a family or whatever then you know those shared characteristics of your 
culture or subculture depend determine what is interesting to you and at the very end our shared culture with even beings that we don't even know exist determine what like the most objective beauty is which is things like maybe mathematical truths as i mentioned yeah so i, I think that's maybe one way of summarizing kind of that idea is that beauty is a a latent property that can exist within a certain object but the way that that gets triggered or activated depends on the context um, of a particular culture, the broad philosophy and values of a, a particular society, as well as from an individual perspective, you know, where their emotional state is, kind of what they're interest, I, probably interested in at that time. Yeah, go I ahead. want to push back a bit about the idea that it's a property of things, though, because that's, to me, something that isn't really uh, meaningful. And, and the reason for this is that we literally anything can be beautiful. Even things that we generally think of ugly can turn into something beautiful. For instance, if you really look at it for a long time, or if for whatever reason, your desires become kind of weird and like some, like, like violence, for instance, is, is not desirable. By default, we are repelled by violence, but also it's kind of interesting. And so we can find a violent movie or violent painting or violent story beautiful also. Um, so I, don't, I wouldn't say that like the beauty is sort of a latent property of like a conflict, for instance, but it's more something that can emerge from the, uh, the relation, like the, yeah, the interaction between you and the depiction of the violence, which, you know, it's not very different from what you were saying, but I think it makes sense to sort of separate the beauty from the thing. Yeah, no, that, that's a good qualification. And, and I think you know, maybe I can also be more specific in terms of you know, beauty, not as like this one dimensional sliding scale of not beautiful to beautiful, but as everything has like a, like a potentiality for beauty that can be triggered better or worse, depending on kind of the different things interacting with it. And so you're know, taking this conversation about the artistic context, uh, a different direction, uh, trying to you know, bridge this conversation over to... Now, the recent uh, announcement of OpenAI's Dolly 2 and AI art and illustration and you know, how that really impacts you know, the conversation around art, artistic production, artistic intent. Yeah, I would love to just kind of hear your thoughts about mm -hmm. how you think this changes the conversation. And also would love to just kind of hear about kind of what you think of Dolly 2's yeah. you know, art, if you even want to call it art. Yeah, Dolly 2 is, makes me very feel very ambiguous emotions. <laughs> I, I am kind of a techno-optimist, so I think it's good that we develop AI capabilities, but also it makes me very uneasy and, um, for many reasons, uh, which we won't necessarily get into, but um, I do think that it will change our relationship to art and maybe not in straightforward ways. Um, and one of the reasons is that, so as I said, art is basically a way to, uh, to, I, I like the word weaponize, it's kind of negative and maybe that's more appropriate for like marketing, right? Marketing is a way to weaponize beauty in a way to like create some, some feeling and propaganda is like political marketing and like that's more clearly a weapon, but like art in general is also this kind of, right? It's like this way of taking that thing that exists in the brain, the ability to see beauty and sort of use it for your own purposes to, to, to manipulate people. Um, usually in a good <laughs> manipulate in a good way to like make them feel emotions, but still it's kind of a manipulation. And, and that kind of depends a lot on 
all of the properties of a piece of art. It depends on the basic things like color choice, like if we're talking about visual art, uh, color choice, the shapes you use, the elements that you uh, put, if you put a character, what is on their face, what, and so on and so forth. But also it can, other properties of the piece of art uh, are not in the physical like display, but in what is around the art. And for instance, the intention of the uh, artist is actually important. And the, the way, the context, the art piece was created, what, at what time, like you will, it, a, a same a piece of art is very similar that was created 500 years ago or yesterday will feel very different to us, right? That's another property of the art. And you can't actually abstract that and, or, and pretend it doesn't matter because it actually does matter. We actually do go to museums to see old paintings because the fact that they are old is important, for instance. So all of this is to say, when a piece of art is created by a computer program like DALI 2, um, the fact that it was created by the computer program is also a property of the art and that affects what we will think of it and how much beauty we will uh, take out of it. So what, is, what does this mean in practice? In practice, this means that now, so Dali 2 is a very new thing and new newness is a pretty cool thing usually. Like we are attracted to new things because they are interesting. So that means that for now, Dali 2 stuff is really interesting and therefore pretty beautiful for most people. Um, and yeah, like just yesterday on Twitter, I saw this, uh, somebody wrote the prompt for Dali 2 that was medieval painting of uh, the Wi-Fi not working. And honestly, it was great. It was really interesting. Um, but my prediction is that over time, um, this will become less and less interesting because we will. there will be, first of all, a lot of it. Uh, not Right now, Dali 2 is also still kind of rare because only a few people have access. So you are not flooded with Dali 2 art all over the place, but eventually we will. And at that point, it'll be like, oh, that's just another piece of AI art. There was no effort put into this. It was just somebody wrote a prompt, selected a picture, and that's it. Like, there is some value in like being able to write a good prompt and creating the output and picking the best one. Um, and so that value will still, you know, keep happening. And some people will still use Dali 2 for maybe art and games or maybe corporate art to enliven a PowerPoint presentation, whatever. But over time, we will be flooded by AI art, and I think that means we will actually find it less and less beautiful. I, with a caveat that like technology will still improve, and there will be also still be new uh, AI art that will be probably better and better. So like you know, this, it's basically an arms race in a way, like uh, creating new interesting things through the genius of programming AI versus the genius of doing art. Like basically, these two things can be interesting and beautiful, but uh, over time, I think. AI art will actually kind of lose its appeal. Um, I'm not like super confident, but I think that's likely to happen. I think that that makes sense. Right now, there's that novelty, and novelty is its own species of interestingness. Yep. And I do think that you know, even historically, you know, in terms of artistic movements, artists by nature they they want to find a way in which they can have a unique perspective and and stand out from the crowd, and so. During the, for example, like the Romantic period, it was about all these artists, you know, could perfect naturalistic technique, you know, super well. So therefore, it became less and less interesting. It became more about, you know, how to extend technique and how to you know, and extend then, certain then, things. Yeah. And then photography happened, 
And that mm -hmm. just disrupted the whole thing because now skills of being able to reproduce a, a real scene super accurately were not useful anymore, right? So that was a big transformation in art, but that doesn't mean that art has stopped existing. It just evolved into a different direction and photography became its own form of art. So yeah, many people have pointed this out and I, I mostly agree. I think that something like this will happen. We'll just redefine our relationship to these things. Yeah, so, so as Dolly too, you know, and other AI art production models come out to the market. So just, I think the effect of that will just be that artists will redefine what the artist's contribution to this ecosystem is. Yeah. Um, and, and the fundamental reason is really just that beauty is whatever we find interesting. And we cannot predict what we will find interesting in 10 years after more technological change. It will be not exactly the same as now. Fashion will have changed and cultural norms will have changed. So many things will have changed in 10, 50, 100 years. So, but beauty, the ability to see interestingness and feel beauty from it will remain. Yeah, and what I find like really fascinating potentially is how, you know, for example, with, with chess um, over the last, just the last 25 years, as you know, chess engines have you know, gotten really sophisticated, it's actually helped human players become much better chess players. And so I wonder if you know, there, there are you know, certain things with AI art that can you know, help artists unlock certain aesthetic potential and make them you know, better artists by either the cutting down on this kind of maybe initial brainstorming phase or are able to you know, create certain you know, just juxtapositions or aesthetic ideas that they couldn't, they maybe just wouldn't have had the time for if they were just you know, producing art by, by themselves. Um, as long as they figure out what interests people and are able to bring it to life, that's uh, that's what art is. Yeah. So I want to you know, pick back up um, you know, the idea that you had about you know weaponizing art and you know, weaponizing aesthetics, or you know to use a, a less pointed term like market, you know, using art as marketing. And so I think art and aesthetics is like it's a it travels very fast. It propagates you know, incredibly quickly and incredibly powerfully, um, and much more so than ideas. And you don't have to look you know, too far to see how a lot of the political movements' aesthetics have lived longer than the ideas or yeah. ideologies themselves. And, and so you know, how do you think about you know, one from the perspective of the movement in terms of when they're creating their own aesthetics or their own branding, What's a, what's a good way for a movement to you know, think about kind of that aspect of what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I, I do think, and I've been writing initially on this this week, actually, that um, aesthetics are important for movement and um, you cannot neglect them because they are, and I'll use the word weapon again, they are a weapon. They are a resource that you can use to make your movement more successful for whatever definition of success. And so if you neglect them, then I think, well, first of all, you, you might lose out to competitors who have better aesthetics than you. And so you, lose, you have less support, less, uh, you attract less people. Um, and whether, that's, whether you want mass market appeal or elite appeal, that doesn't matter. I mean, it matters as uh, mechanistically, but it's in both cases, aesthetics, you know, help rallying those people, whether it's everyone or just a few sophisticated thinkers or whatever. So uh, if you don't 
use your aesthetics well, then you will have less support from this. And you know, and companies usually know this to some level, right? They will have try to have a nice logo, a nice name, and like a nice website. Or, um, like so, so these are this is like the basic level of aesthetics where you need a visual identity, but obviously you can also go further and have like really well-defined aesthetics with art and um, you can commission art or you can tell stories, hire like really good storytellers or whatever. I mean, like there's way, many, many ways to, to, to do aesthetics, but you sort of have to do it if you want to make sure that you don't lose out. Um, but obviously that's not necessarily, like the precise strategy that you need depends on what your movement is. If, it, if it's a company, a religion, a, a philosophical movement, a political movement, all of these things have different goals and different and at the beginning if your resources are limited you might not want to pour all of it in aesthetics uh, you want you don't want your movement your movement to be just aesthetics either right you still have to be have something substantial um i mean not to say that aesthetics aren't substantial but usually but there are other things in life than aesthetics like ideas and technologies and so on so you want uh, a balance where you don't just do aesthetics I mean, unless that's what you're trying to do. Um, and maybe I'm putting too many caveats. As I said, it really depends on what you're trying to do. But for many things, you want to do something that's not aesthetics, but you also want aesthetics on the side. Otherwise, you will uh, you will lose out. And that's why I mentioned attracting people. But like, there's, to me, two other things that are important. And the, the second thing is making the people in your movement actually feel good about it, which aesthetics help because being surrounded by beauty is is great and if you don't do this you might actually lose your supporters or they might actually become like depressed um the utilitarian philosopher john stuart mill as a young man was super into like creating a just society and making sure that everybody would be happy and like it was his goal in life and then he fell into an intense depression around the age of 20. And then he was saved by reading a lot of poetry. So um, like, don't do this. Don't make your own followers miserable by having no aesthetics. And then the third thing, uh, besides attracting people and making sure your own people feel good is um, aesthetics actually kind of help you define your goals and your values. If you do not have aesthetics, you, well, I mean, everybody has aesthetics, but your aesthetics might evolve sort of haphazardly if you don't intentionally de uh, design them. And this is kind of an alignment problem, to put it in AI terms. It's the, the vision of the world that your movement creates may or may not actually be what you really want. And so you, it's probably worthwhile to be intentional about, about this. And that means maybe commissioning art or at least, you know, sort of trying to lay out a vision. Our art sort of forces you to pay attention to, to, to things, to what is interesting and therefore valuable to you. So create art that you like and that you agree with and that embodies the values of your movement and you will actually have clearer goals. I, I think you know the answer that you gave very encompassing I think actually you know opens up a lot of you know things that we you know, hadn't been able to discuss earlier in this conversation just about the usefulness of art. So yeah. one as like just as creating this kind of warm feeling among an in-group as like a shared aesthetic. Yeah. And then also as uh, actually a way of moving discourse forward, like artistic discovery as actually helping with kind of whatever ideas or commercial pursuit or whatever the movement's actual kind of end goals are, 
And then also you know, other things as you know, just acting as a outward facing symbol of who we are, um, like a marker of identity. And there's a lot, I think a, a lot of other things that you know, aesthetics can, can and, utilize for. And obviously aesthetics is not a guarantee of being good. Like you can have good aesthetics and be morally terrible. Um, and obviously the Nazis are probably the best example for this. They had amazing aesthetics and amazingly wrong ethics, right? Um, but then as I was writing about this the other day, I sort of real, I sort of remembered that like British comedy skit, um, Are We the Baddies? I don't know if you know about this, but so the, the, there's this Nazi, this fictional Nazi who sort of realizes, hey, our caps have little skulls on them. Skulls aren't nice. Skulls make you think of death and cannibals and bad things. And then he's like, are we the baddies? And so that sort of made me think aesthetics is a weapon that can be used by the good guys or the bad guys, but also it can actually reveal the bad. So it's not like a fully symmetric thing. Um, so I think it's worth putting some resources in your uh, aesthetics also for this, for sort of reveal what you're really all about. And then maybe as you do this, you sort of realize that, uh, oh, wait, there, this thing is not actually what we want. <laughs> Death and cannibals are not exactly the society we want to move towards, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a you know, really great direction to, to close out this conversation, which is in terms of the relationship between aesthetics and ethics. You know, are they like truly independent variables or is there you know, something, even if it's a relatively weak correlation and not a uh, perfect one, is there something that we can draw kind of generally in terms of how ethics and aesthetics are related to each other? Yeah, I think there's a decent case to say that they are at least somewhat correlated. And part of the reason is very basic is just that art is good. Aesthetics are good. There are things, there was one of the things alongside good relationships and, you know, good food and love. Um, the beauty is one of the things that make life good. And so if you put resources in aesthetics, you are creating more good. So you are ethical in some sense. It doesn't necessarily um, counterbalances everything else that you do if you're the Nazis, for instance, but but yeah, you are creating some good. So it's not, it's definitely better to do this than creating ugliness. So if somebody was trying to create a movement to uh, cover the world with ugliness, I think that would be <laughs> a pretty clear case of uh, people who have bad ethics. That sounds good to me. Thanks so much, Etienne. Uh, it's really great having you on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for uh, discussing this with me. Super fun topic.